Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Oh, I'm so excited to have my friend Christina Montoya on today, who's a registered dietitian and also my RA twin because she's had it the same amount of time. We both have one child and they're both boys. So anyway, I would, I would love you to just give a quick introduction, like where you live and oh, I already gave it away, but what's your relationship to arthritis? <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl, for having me here again. I'm really excited about the, today's topic. And um, yes, so well, you didn't mention that I'm from Colombia and I live in Canada, but I really like to say this, I'm a woman surviving and thriving with rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's and fibromyalgia. Sometimes I survive, I'm in surviving mode and other times I'm thriving mode. <laughs> um, yes, I relate to that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's so like, that's what it is. I started with this journey when I was a child with Sjogren's syndrome. And then, but then at 21, 22, right? I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis as well. So I, as you want to know, what else you would like to know about me? 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And you know, today's topic is all about cannabis, CBD, THC, and what is their relationship to arthritis and chronic pain? I know that's a huge topic. There's tons of studies being done, but I know it's something that you Mm -hmm. personally have delved into. And so, but my question first for you is what got you interested in delving into this topic in the first place? Well, first, as you mentioned, I'm a registered dietitian and I've been a registered dietitian for 15 years now, started in Colombia. And um, most recently, for maybe in the past three years, I've been very passionate about learning and leading an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, including nutrition and lifestyle changes. But what really triggered me is that I reached a breaking point in terms of managing my pain when I had my boy in 2019. So basically, I have an early postpartum uh, RA flare-up. I was told after six weeks, I had it the next day. I had my boy. It was the most horrible pain I ever had since I was diagnosed. Uh, The first uh, things that they offered me was opioids. And I just could not tolerate the side effects. And especially because I couldn't even function with a newborn baby. All my biologists failed. Simsia that I've been taking for 10 years failed. I tried Actemraf, failed. Went back to using methotrexate. And then I have a very honest conversation with a new rheumatologist. I love her. And it was a shared decision. We started kind of jumping at ideas. Okay, what is it what we're going to do? So I said, you know what? I'm going to go full force and using medical cannabis. She said, that's fine but let's try this biologic as well. So I started on Orencia. So that's when I started using a medical cannabis, I particularly found relief from the fibromyalgia pain per se. And so I really wanted to know, okay, so there's gotta be a reason why this is working for me. Is this just a hype of what is happening? And, and also, I had the huge stigma of being Colombian, and with our history, I was terrified of even mentioning the name of cannabis or marijuana. And so that, but I said, you know, let me just learn. So very skeptical about the whole thing. I completed a program during the pandemic. Um, for the Holistic Cannabis Academy, which was founded by a registered dietitian in the US. So I thought, okay, if she did it, oh, why, if she's learned about cannabis, why can't I? I, I, she, I, I got hooked and I said, well, okay, so this is what's happening in the US. I wanna know what's happening in Canada. So I continued with a, a, a certificate a cannabis educator program in Toronto. Uh, we was cater more towards medical cannabis. And, um, but then I realized that as a regulated health professional in Canada, I was really not allowed to, you know, prescribe or write medical documents, which I understand. But we're also kind of limited on the amount of, of the type of education we're providing, which I'm a rebel and I've been advocating for changes. <laughs> She's gone rogue. No, I love it. Yeah. So that's, I think that's really difficult for people to figure out. Okay. I think at this point, you know, we're recording this in April, 2022. There's so many stories out there of people who've been helped by this, but yet it's not legal everywhere. 
And um, there's like systemic barriers to accessing it as like a potential tool in your toolbox. But um, so I'm, first of all, I'm so grateful to have you here to help, you know, unpack a little bit, you know, what is it like, um, like, let's say I knew absolutely nothing about cannabis, THC and CBD, which I know a little bit, but it is over overwhelming uh, to figure out like the differences between all the, the terminology. I feel like I'm a newbie with RA again, you know, when people are like, <laughs> yeah. hey, what's this, what's a biologic, what's a flare up? Like, what are you talking about? So what are some like basic pointers that you, um, or basic pieces of information people should know when they're just delving into learning about this? I think that most important thing and the reason why I started studying more about cannabis is understanding why cannabis works in our body. And it's because we have a, uh, a system that actually works with it. It interacts with cannabis and it's called the endocannabinoid system. So that system is designed to maintain homeostasis or homeostasis or balance within our body. And, um, and it's also responsible for, uh, and it's involved in processes that, um, that involve uh, memory, pain relief, um, <clears throat> Uh, in mood, inflammation, and even reproduction. I don't know about that, but all the endocannabinoid system is uh, is the largest. Um, uh, what is um, kind of neuro neurotransmitter system, right? That they have receptors everywhere in our bodies, and that's why when you say, "Well, but cannabis works for everything," it's because we have receptors everywhere, including our skin. So, so that's why it's so important to really understand that we do have a system that interacts with the cannabis. So we actually, uh, just a very basic, the endocannabinoid system is comprised of three main components. So first you had the endocannabinoids. So we actually produce endocannabinoids that are similar to the ones that are produced by the cannabis plant and they're called uh, anandamide and 2-AG. Those are the main endocannabinoids. Uh, so I don't know if you heard of the, the runner's high, but sometimes they used to say that. Yep, yep, I've experienced that, yeah, yeah. So that is a rise of the anandamide. And it was actually given that name because of the honor of the Sanskrit word bliss. So it means like a supreme joy. So when you're running, you're actually getting a load of anandamide. So you're feeling happier when you're hugging, when you're smiling, wow. there's a rise of anandamide. So we actually have those components in our bodies that there are um, ways to nourish that endocannabinoid system even beyond cannabis. And that's something to think about. Yeah, so basically mm -hmm. we already in our body, tell me if this is the right, that we already have this endocannabinoid system and that's not related to any quote unquote drugs or anything. It's a system in our, in our brain and our neurons in our whole body. And it just so happens that, you know, the cannabis plant uh, taps into that. And I'm looking at this Harvard, um, Harvard Health page all about the endocannabinoid system, which I'm going to put in the show notes as well. It's really helpful. To, to understand. Cause I, I guess I still, I was, I'll just preface this. I grew up in the 1980s in the United States where there was this huge push in the early nineties as well for this program called dare, dare to keep mm -hmm. kids off drugs. And it really worked on me in the sense that it scared the living daylights out of me. And I was like, I'm never going to do any drugs. I'm never going to 
drink alcohol. I'm never going to smoke pot. And, um, they always talked about marijuana as like the gateway drug to other more hardcore drugs. And there's so many negative things that were talked about, about it, that when I even hear like endocannabinoid system, I'm like, Oh, that, like that's some bad thing. It was like, no, this is literally in your body already. Like, so anyway, <laughs> sorry, I already got us off track, but, um, no, but okay. you actually, you actually, I, I kind of, um, gonna tag on that comment at the gateway to drugs. And to me, it has been the gateway to wellness and the freedom from drug prescriptions. And I think that's powerful in terms of it's very personal. Again, like anyone, when you start embarking on a cannabis journal journey, it's 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 unique, right? right? And because that endocannabinoid system is as unique as your personality, so that's why how you how when you we can both take the same. CBD oil or take the same cultivar or like known as a strain or cannabis strain is the same, same cannabis, but we may react differently because it depends on what is your body's needs and what so that true. endocannabinoid system needs. So that's what we cannot just kind of generalize. Oh, this strain is for pain and this is for anxiety. Perhaps it might work for you for anxiety. It might work for me for pain. Right. And you don't know till you try on your own mm-hmm. body, right? Exactly. So, so I think uh, that's probably the main message that we do have that system and we can talk about the whole show here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, and actually something very interesting, there is a neurologist, Dr. Ethan Russo, very kind of well known in the area of cannabinoids, uh, cannabinoids research is that he proposed a hypothesis that patients with fibromyalgia, irritable bowel syndrome, and migraines may have a a condition called endocannabinoid deficiency, clinical endocannabinoid deficiency, uh, where I think there have been small studies where they have kind of tested the amount of endocannabinoids, but in the spinal fluid. So it's not really something that you can measure in a blood test or something, right? And so it's a theory they have seen because you've seen that these conditions, they don't have a specific cause, right? Right. So, and people, particularly those who have those conditions respond very well to cannabis. So that's where he kind of brings in this theory. Okay. Awesome. I'm putting these links in the show notes as well. It's so interesting. Okay. So yeah. yeah, So how does, so how, first of all, little 101, because I'm sure I already messed up some of the lingo. What's the difference between when I say the words like cannabis, CBD, and THC, those are the words I hear all the time. Like what's the difference (laughs) between those? (laughs) Well, first of all, you have to start with a plant. So cannabis is the plant that sometimes we'll say like, oh, it's cannabis the same as, oh, people say, oh, cannabis is the medicinal plant and the marijuana is the recreational. I think you also kind of heard that, right? But in reality, it's just the one plant. It's the cannabis plant. And uh, and then this one, it actually has like a separate male plants and female plants. And then the female plants is where we found most of the medicinal uh, ingredients. Uh, And, but there's also, uh, there's, probably areas, right, where they're like a, a hemp. Hemp is also a cannabis plant from the cannabis species. Um, but then there's more control into the amount of THC that they can kind of produce. So the hemp is the one that contains less than 0.3% of THC. So I understand that many uh, 
legal uh, states in the US, the um, hemp is legal, right? And so is the use of CBD, but not the cannabis that contains THC. So, okay. so, ca- Wait, what, so what is even, what does THC stand for? So that THC, so I'm going there. So the oh, CBD and THC are like the major cannabinoids. So you remember when I was telling you that we had those endocannabinoids, anandamide and 2-AG. So then the plant also produces like a major cannabinoid, it's a concentration of delta-9, or like a tetrahydrocannabinol, that's the THC, and then the cannabinoidal CBD. So they are the largest, um, they are in the cannabis plant in a large amount, but there are also many other minor cannabinoids, even up to a hundred, which is still haven't been studied fully. Okay, okay. Um, so that's the difference, right? So just think about endocannabinoids and the phytocannabinoids because it comes from plants and that's kind of oh. the relationship. Okay, awesome. So when you say phyto, it's like P-H-Y-T-O. Yes. Right. So that's like from mm-hmm. the plants. Okay. From the plants. Wow. And then endo is what we produce. Okay. Right? Awesome. And then, yeah, what are some things like people, because everyone, most of the people who are listening have some relationship to arthritis or chronic pain. So like, let's talk a little more specifically about how cannabis can affect pain and inflammation specifically. So, so specifically, I think that another thing that we really need to understand when these cannabinoids are present in the plant, they come in 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 an acidic form, they're inactive. So if you were to take like the plant or the flower, right, and you were to consume it, nothing's going to happen. There's no psychoactive effects to it. Okay. Okay. So just to see the plant or just touching it or eating it, you're not going to get high. Okay. Right. No. <laughs> so, um, so, but that's where you come that when we heat up the plant, right, is that when we activate those components. So that's when the THC becomes the psychoactive or kind of or gives that intoxicating effect because then it, it interacts with those cannabinoid receptors that we have. Mm-hmm. And they're mostly like the CB1 receptors that are located in the brain and then can give you that sensation of, uh, you know, high and kind of pleasantness, which in some, sometimes it could be therapeutic, but when it comes to it in, in excess, then it's just, you're using other reasons. You're not using it for therapeutic reasons. You're just using it for just kind of be happy, be high. Uh, but here we're talking more about the therapeutic um, benefits of these components. The same thing happened with CBD. You have to activate it. But remember that cannabis plant also contains other, other important components, like the terpenes, which is like the aromatic components that gives it that flavor, like the smell, you know, the mm-hmm. distinctive smell, and also flavonoids. So think about like what you find in fruits and vegetables. Cannabis also have that. So it's a vegetable. It's like a vegetable. It's a leaf, right? It is a leaf. It is a plant. Like, okay. (laughs) I just thought of that. Wow. Uh, But then, yeah. So what is really the effect in, in general, actually in research and animal studies, they have found that both THC and CBD have anti-inflammatory and analgesic effects. And nice. in fact, uh, for patients specifically, like I mentioned with fibromyalgia, uh, chronic pain or neuropathic pain, a combination or even a little bit of a THC seems to be more alleviating than just CBD. 
And now when we say analgesic, that's pain reducing. That's pain reducing. Yeah. Yeah. Just for people who haven't heard that lingo before. Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. seems like something that every, you know, everyone who lives in pain from arthritis is looking for, you know, at some point, what can I do to reduce, especially inflammatory arthritis, like the autoimmune types, like we have, you know, with psoriatic or ankylosing spondylitis or rheumatoid, you know, how can we reduce our overall inflammation? How can we reduce our pain? So it's really significant that this can help. <laughs> it, it really, it really does. And I think we both participated in last year World, World Pain Summit. Remember, like it was, yes. So it was a very interesting discussion because we have one physician who was like completely against it. You know, there's not a sufficient evidence. Uh, you know, we're still kind of the earliest stages. I wouldn't recommend it. Only one out of 10 patients are benefiting. I said, to me, that one patient is still, yeah, wow, <laughs> good for them. Uh, but then you have Dr. Um, Hans, uh, Dr. Clark, who he said, hey, but we have to listen to our patients. Pain is the number one reason patients seek cannabis use. So what is happening here? So that's why he started, or oh, he is conducting a research where he's evaluating the effects of cannabis and in pain, sleep, and anxiety. Yeah. So, so I think that we really need to consider and appreciate what the patients are experiencing as the research is emerging, uh, as more um, the kind of legalization starts to spread out, right? Because that was really the limitation of doing research. Yeah. So um, what can I say there here? So that's why uh, when it comes to pain relieving uh, properties, I highly advise that for me, it's best to really consult um, a medical care practitioner, right? Uh, even a physician, a nurse practitioner, someone who can guide you if you're going to use this for medical use. I, I do find, and I think uh, I'm going to mention these two, uh, these great doctors, the Knox doctors. Okay. They are a great resource, and they're also advocating for this, uh, the stigmatized use of cannabis, because I'll give you an example. I go to a doctor in, in the U.S., I believe that they have qualifying conditions for using mm-hmm, cannabis. Mm-hmm. If my condition doesn't is not in that qualifying list of conditions, then I most likely will go to perhaps a dispensary. And if I'm going to use a dispensary, it will be for medical reasons or therapeutic reasons, but then I'm going to be judged for using it for recreational reasons. So their advocacy lies is like a medical cannabis, like that, even that distinction it's, it's damaging, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it mm-hmm. cannabis? Is it for personal use? Is it for therapeutic use? Is it for wellness? It's the same plan. What is your, what are you using it for? Yeah, and, well, mm-hmm. and the, the thing that when you were talking about the, re- the, the scientist or the doctor who was against it, um, you know, I think that one of the first questions that we ask when we're doing these cost benefit analyses is, what are the risks? So are there any risks of taking uh, cannabis for people? Can people be allergic to it? Like they can be allergic to any other plant or? They could, they could. That can definitely, as any other component in the nature, you could be allergic to CBD or THC or any other ca- cannabinoids. Um, it also, 
here in Canada, and I think that's a really good question because there's something that's very specific for Canada, like the Canadian Rheumatology Association actually recommends the use of medical cannabis for the people age uh, 25 plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it kind of contradicts a little bit because then cannabis is legal in cannabis for that personal use. So any youth from 18 plus or 19 in most provinces can access it. And, and so I yeah. think that's, we're still kind of under that uh, revision of that information. Um, but something that I my God, I really wanted to focus is to see what what is the intention, right? Like how, what are you really using cannabis? Are you, are you seeking like a, a advice for the medical care pro- provider? Are you talking to your provider about using cannabis? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. People, I, I have so many patients who are very, they feel the stigma when they talk right. about cannabis. Right. And it's it's hard because it's like, um, you know, I I have I'm starting backwards from this bigger belief, which to me is like pain relief is a human right, you know you have the right to get your pain managed or pain management is a human right. And so to me, it's like, yeah, especially with the risks, there's not, um, you know, the risks of, uh, of, you know, marijuana or cannabis, you know, whatever form it is, is, you know, not, not as overwhelming as, you know, there, there's risks to, you know, alcohol, which many people take, you know, and um, there's risks to, you know, too much caffeine, there's risk to so many things. So, um, and there's risk to, and I, I'm, I'm very, very, very pro, you know, Western medicine for rheumatoid arthritis, just because the evidence is so strong for it, but you're suppressing your immune system, you know, during a mm-hmm. worldwide pandemic. So that's a risk you're having. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like you're comparing just the small risks of cannabis to nothing, you know, you're comparing it to, you know, if I can get a little bit of my inflammation controlled with, I mean, like you're convincing me now because <laughs> I have, <laughs> I still have this mental block about it. I bought some gummies and then I was like too scared to take them. But anyway, um, so, but I you know, and the other thing is, or the other thing I just want to really quick say is, you know, lack of research or lack of evidence doesn't equate to evidence that it's not effective or evidence that it's harmful. And the reasons that you mentioned, you know, and I, I'm, I, I'm hesitant to say this because you can say that with a lot of things that are really ineffective, like, you know, like things that are like snake oil type stuff, like, oh, well, lack of evidence isn't evidence of a lack. Okay. But with, with, with if there's a, a medic or a, a, something like cannabis that has been illegal, there's a huge barrier to getting research done, like you said. So, um, and the emerging research is not just research, but the there, there's a pathway in your body for why this works. You know what I'm saying? Like, sorry. I'm not no, saying no, I know. I think uh, you make complete sense. And I think I even okay. sidetracked myself in terms of the risk. So when you compare the cannabis risk to like an opiate risk, right? Like those are the medications yes. that we often uh, uh, use, right? To, for pain relieving. So the difference is that, that there's no cannabinoid receptors at the respiratory center in our brain, unlike opioids. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why you could die from an opiate overdose. You cannot die. You could, I think you have to consume over like 1.5 kilograms of like cannabis oh, to yeah. really have such a severe effect. And usually if you have any like side effects, they're unpleasant, but they're not life like threatening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, 
And to go back on the, um, you know, I think that the, I was looking up a little bit as we're talking about, you know, the effect on adolescence, you know, adolescent, the developing brain. Um, there are there, I have read a little bit of, you know, interesting kind of research or there's, there's still, it's unclear how marijuana use, you know, affects the developing brain. So that's something to, to look into if you're talking about, you know, a juvenile or adolescent or, um, but we're talking about adults, you know, it seems a little bit more less, the risks are not as, uh, strong. So, yeah. And, and, that, and that's a really good point. And again, uh, the same goes for uh, women like pregnant women and breastfeeding, uh, even though we probably know women who already use it, or even there have been cases where uh, women with uh, uh, severe like nausea and vomiting, they have found some kind of relief with cannabis. But again, those are the risks that that person was willing to take. But when it comes to the general population, and so it's not really advised on pregnant women or nursing women until we have more research on it. Also, uh, uh, people with severe uh, liver disease or cardiac uh, conditions, uh, they should also be uh, cautious. I have some patients with uh, or clients with uh, uh, POTS, I can remember the name of it, right? Yeah, postural, uh, with the po postural orthostatic hypertension. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they have found also a huge sensitivity to THC specifically. So, so there are uh, situations in which I said, hey, yeah, kind of be cautious. That's why you need to be kind of full disclosure with your practitioner and it's a way of educating uh, that your rheumatologist as well. Uh, there was a small study when I saw for just, it was an animal study or actually human research, but in patients with lupus, uh, it seems that like the consumption of CBD, like a high doses of CBD, seem to increase the um, the release of a protein in, in the kidney, like a protein in the kidney. And we don't want that in patients with that lupus. But again, it's very individualized. Yeah, are there, you yeah, are there any reactions between cannabis and the, the medications commonly prescribed for rheumatoid arthritis that you're aware of? No, for, uh, they want that I could be with cautions if you're on any blood thinners. So, and, uh, and typically when you don't want to take it alone with the, with the same medication so that you want to kind of space mm -hmm, it out. Mm -hmm. And if you are taking, special, particularly edibles, right? Like you're consuming or the oils or the edibles, gummies, that sort of thing that has to go through uh, the liver to metabolize that um, the, the, the cannabinoids, uh, uh, just yeah. kind of keep an eye if you're taking methotrexate, right? Because it's also metabolized through the liver. So just kind of be aware that if you're being monitored, that that you made the, your healthcare provider aware that you're using cannabis. Totally um, makes sense. Yeah. And I, and I think there's something I really wanted to mention to you, um, Sharon, is about that awareness. So in 2000 and 2000, no, 2021, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. And there was a survey done for cannabis patients here in Canada, 1,000 patients. 25% of them responded that they use it because of arthritis. Oh, wow. So out of like a thousand Canadian patients that using cannabis, they tried it because they had arthritis and 58% were female. And, and I think, uh, and I see that the female population, we're looking more into maybe more discreet options, right? We're not into perhaps smoking or kind of have a throwing that smell. So we're going towards more the, the edibles, the oils, um, 
some here in Canada is emerging the use of suppositories as well as a way of pain relief. Um, so I think that women have kind of been left behind in terms of their research. Most of the research has been done in male and young male smoking THC over like 30%. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, what I was going to say, I, I forgot to say this earlier, but in the, in the risks section, I do want to point out yet that smoking, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you know, if you have rheumatoid arthritis in general, smoking is definitely not recommended because you already are predisposed to some lung, lung issues. And actually smoking just tobacco is like a considered a risk factor for just developing rheumatoid mm -hmm. arthritis in the first place. So people are usually, you know, coached and told medically, you know, please try to get off of smoking if you can. So I'm assuming that would be something people with, you know, rheumatoid should know when it comes to deciding which form that you might want to try, whether we're talking about, you know, oils or oral, you know, gummies or smoking, right? Yeah. I, the thing is like a smoking also kills like most of the cannabinoids, like a, you do get the hit, oh. but it actually, it, it affects the availability of the cannabinoids that are, have the therapeutic mm. effects. Uh, you get the hive, you're doing it for like more like the personal use. You want kind of more the recreational side. It might be the option, but I, I support you. I agree with you when it comes and rheumatoid arthritis and even any other inflammatory kind of rheumatic disease, probably not advisable. Things are a little different with when you use the herb vaporizer because you're not combusting oh. the flower. You're actually heating it up at a lower temperature and you're only getting the, the oils, heating up the oils. So if the sometimes the herb vaporizer could be beneficial for an instant relief right like you just have a breakthrough pain and or you just need to kind of get that kick to get you help you sleep uh so you get the herb vaporizer one or two puffs but again all guided hopefully by a healthcare provider that can yeah. really give you the right advice i love it yeah and i think if we're if we would summarize the major benefits to cannabis for somebody with an autoimmune form of arthritis like rheumatoid, it would be in my head, I'm thinking from the research I've seen, pain, you know, reduced pain, reduced anxiety, better sleep. And then I put appetite on my little list because it is a good appetite stimulant. And there it not a lot of people are aware, but you know, appetite loss and, and unintended weight loss are actually symptoms of uncontrolled rheumatoid arthritis. And they're ones that I personally experienced. So um is there, it, it, would you agree with those main benefits? Uh, yes, add anything I do. Okay. Definitely. I like a, a mood booster as well. Okay, great. Yeah. That I, I definitely, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think those are like the main uh, reasons why people seek a kind of cannabis and they find relief in those areas. Um, there was, uh, I think, I, there was always questions about CBD, like where can I find the best CBD, right? Yes, Don't you yes, find that? Yes. So where is it? And and I always get that. And I think there's is more problematic maybe in the US <laughs> um, yeah. than we are here in, in Canada or, or maybe, right? Always check the laws in your country. Um, but what is very important, I always kind of provide like the five things that you need to look into. Um, make sure that the product has clear labels right? Like a, what is the component? What are the cannabinoids kind of concentration? Where is it made? Does it have a certificate of analysis, right? So was it tasted for pesticides, toxins? Does it have any additives? 
uh, any solvents because you can take the CBD, but you're taking all those solvents. They're also toxic and pro-inflammatory. Uh, was it use, you know, using a safe extraction in um, particularly if you can find someone like from an organic hemp kind of source, probably be better, uh, but always kind of ask questions. So one resource that I always kind of direct people in the U.S. is from Dr. Justin Solak. He's an excellent cannabis clinician in the U.S. and his site is healer.com. And he's fantastic. Like he also is kind of his education, like very basic, but he uses evidence-based, well-known in this area. Okay, great. I'm putting all these links in the chat that you're mentioning, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's why uh, it's just something to really keep in mind with the CBD. And something very interesting about CBD that, for some people, CBD can cause a little bit of fatigue when they just start using it. So you're actually using it to fight fatigue, but then you might find that even when you're using it, you're feeling a little bit tired. So it's also in a way when your your body start to kind of fine tune with that, with the CBD, it's like a supplement, right? Um, for some people might use it for sleep, may work for others actually stimulate them. So that's why the use of cannabis is just, is a journey. It's just to, it really increases your self-awareness um, and self-care and what works for you what doesn't. That's, that's super, super helpful, especially to know that the might, the fatigue might be a really short-term reaction. And that kind of makes sense to me if you're kind of like, if it's affecting your anxiety levels, you might kind of become more like chilled out so to speak, but then maybe that actually might make you feel a little tired, you know? So that totally makes sense. And then mm -hmm. on the lines of like total beginner advice, I think it might be helpful to just list off what are the different forms that, that cannabis can take? Like we mentioned, you mentioned an herb vaporizer, smoking in various forms, like and then what, and then I, of course, gummies, like what else, what are the forms? So, yeah, so probably the methods of consumption, right? So we yeah. have the inhalation. So inhalation is like oh, this either smoking or through vape vaporizers. You also have those disposable vape, vapes, which uh, I'm not very comfortable with them. I think they have super concentrated effects. We still really don't know the long-term side effects. So personally, I prefer the air vaporizers or softer. Someone as with Sjogren's, I find it like easier because it, it's less kind of drying than kind of using any other form of inhalation. And again, always break through. Um, the other one is ingestible, right? So. <clears throat> Oh no, we have the sublingual. So we use, uh, there are the tinctures. So the classic tinctures, we were made in alcohol, but there can be very irritating. You put it like a sublingual under your tongue, or you have like also the oils that you can kind of, the drops, you can usually, you usually see the CBD oil drops and you mm -hmm. can start kind of putting it sublingual. Um, in, but some of it kind of gets ingested, right? Then you have capsules as well. Uh, that can be ingested, gummies, and even like homemade edibles. That's also kind of another source of like that can be ingested. Oh, yeah. Is that is when you make a homemade edible, is that where they take the oil and they make like cookies with it or? 
Yeah, so you okay. basically kind of create your like your own oil, kind of butter, that sort of thing. And then, but again, that's that's whole new <laughs> for another podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, then you also have suppositories is another way of oh. using cannabis, even um, vaginal. They're like, you know, like, <laughs> wow, any. I didn't know that. So yeah, would you know Queen Victoria used to use cannabis suppositories to relieve wow. PMS. Yeah, <laughs> you learn something every day. Uh, and then uh, you even intravenous, but that's more like a for research and stuff like that. And also the topical, right? Or transdermal. So you have the topical creams, but they also have transdermal patches. Uh, so okay. there are many many ways of using cannabis because remember the endocannabinoid system is spread out all throughout our bodies well and it's really consistent with like current pain research as i understand it which is that you know pain is is a very complex phenomenon i mean it is processed the sensation of pain is processed in the brain but it involves so many different systems like our mm -hmm. you know our emotional centers and our um and you know our yeah, our everything is interrelated. In other words, just to put it, you know, more, more broadly, like how well you sleep will affect your mood, will affect your inflammation, will affect mm -hmm. your pain. You know, everything cascades, and so sometimes we think about things as different, like oh, what helps with my pain, or what helps with my sleep, or what. But really, like when I do my room to thrive, you know, uh, when I do my program and I'm teaching people about this stuff, it's always like. I like to separate them into little silos. Like, let's talk about sleep this week. Let's talk, but it's all really, I'm constantly saying it's all interrelated. Like how much you yeah. exercise is going to, the benefits of exercise are going to affect, you know, your sleep and your pain and your fatigue and your mood. And yeah. So anyway, just. But it's true. But it's true, and and it's kind of worth noting that when it when it comes to research and cannabis and pain, so there are two particular things that they have noted. Is one is the decrease in pain intensity. So sometimes you still may have the pain, right? But then I, I don't like to use those scales because I don't think they represent, but it's kind of, but at least the intensity of that pain. Um, so much so that I had the experience once of going to the rheumatologist and I apparently had a flare-up, but I had no pain. <laughs> so, wow, yeah. so, then my doctor started, my rheumatologist started uh, assessing. So I, I really want to kind of point that out that if you're still going, continue with your regular checkups with a rheumatologist, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is that pain also, it reduces like the pain um, related uh, interference, like uh, with daily mm -hmm, life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. sometimes it's a distraction. Like, I guess that's uh, in essence, it is, can be distracting. So you're not really focusing so much on the pain because maybe your anxieties level have come down, you feel a little bit more relaxed. So you're not really focusing on the pain that much. And honestly, that's a game for me. If I'm not thinking about pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. I don't know why this is occurring to me. But my husband, and I once said, like, like, the goal, or I shouldn't say that he said, I said to him, like, the goal for for making money is like make enough money to where I don't have to worry about money. And that's unless it's going to sound out of left field, but it's my same goal with pain. I want to control my pain enough to where I'm not like constantly thinking about it and constantly worrying about it. So like you want to make enough money to where you're not having to every single day, every decision, like worry about money. And so I don't know, it just, it relates to that, right? Like if your pain, you know, you might still have pain, 
but the degree of pain does not necessarily uh, correlate to the degree of the impact on your quality of life. So I think mm-hmm. that's super, super, um, super helpful. And yeah, I think we, I've been putting down, writing down as we've been saying this or typing down a lot of um, resources, but in terms of getting started with like literally finding a place that dispenses it. I mean, it's hard to say because the different areas and the, there's different, you know, um, there's a different laws, but do you recommend like first, of course you recommended talking to your medical team. Is that something that like a nurse or team could be able to advise you on like where to find a good reputable place? Well, hopefully I know, I know in Canada, sometimes it could be, uh, I always recommend that, you know, go to a cannabis clinic and get a medical document. Now it's very easy, right? You can even do it online. There's several like cannabis clinics. Uh, One in particular here in Toronto is called like Summer Tree. And I have no affiliation with them. But what I know is that there's a rheumatologist And Dr. Caroline Lindold, who actually has experience uh, in cannabis sciences, obviously rheumatology. So her guidance is golden. I really like her. And I think she's kind of one of a kind. Maybe there's another one in BC. Uh, but in general, the cannabis clinicians uh, in through the cannabis clinics here in Canada could give you some guidance. But sometimes can be very confusing and patients get frustrated and they just give up or they go to the dispensary. And that's the reality. And that's the gap that we have here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the US, I, you know, I, I probably said the safest way is to see if, if you can access a medical marijuana car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the laws, it really differs in every state. They have their own qualifying conditions. Um, but I, I can say that if you can find the best to, to get the best guidance through uh, a qualified uh, care practitioner would probably the best mm-hmm. I cannot really say go to this dispensary and get this right. and this this strain I think that would be responsible of me to say that yeah thank you yeah and that is I, I did um put up we both put up in our Instagram stories you know asking people for their questions and yeah one of them one of the questions was in general um are there strains that are well known for being like better for one thing than the other like one person asked what's the best strain for pain and the other person actually asked what's the best strain for sleep? Um, is that, or is it really just a person dependent? I think like we discussed there is person dependent, but also the member of the profile that you're looking for, right? So then what is the CBD to like THC ratio? What are the terpenes? Some of the terpenes also kind of modulate the effect of the cannabis per se. So if you have like terpenes like a marcine, which is also found like a that is kind of connected to the couch lock effect. So it makes you sleepy. So that probably better for your sleep, right? If you have products that contain CBN, which is another cannabinoid that has more sedative effects, then that will probably be more effective. But then if you're looking more into reducing inflammation, you're going to go for um, a, a cultivar or a product that has very beta caryophyllin, which actually directly interacts with the kind of endocannabinoid system. Well, so mm-hmm. again, That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, you have to talk to some, basically what I'm getting from this is that you need to find someone who really knows what they're doing and knows about all these micro differences to help you select the right one to start. And then maybe just, you know, trial like any of our medications and any of our, you know, pain relief techniques, 
or just lifestyle techniques. There's trial and error, right? When you start a new exercise program, mm -hmm. there's trial and error. Maybe I'll try walking for 15 minutes on flat ground today. If I'm not too fatigued and I'm not feeling bad after that, tomorrow I'll try 20 minutes and then add a hill in there. Like, oops, that was too much. You know, so <laughs> you just have, yeah, sometimes it's about trying. And again, all of this, there's a medical disclaimer on all of my podcasts and all my content, but just to reiterate, this is, uh, you know, to make sure to say it explicitly, this is not medical advice, individual mm -hmm. advice. We're just kind of providing, or we <laughs> generously of me saying, Christina is providing, um, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to provide some basic, you know, just education because it can be such an overwhelming topic about, you know, what is cannabis? What are the benefits potentially? Um, and, and yeah, someone else wrote in, you know, oh, I know cannabis helps me, but I can't use it because I'm working in healthcare and it's probably just against the law, like where they're, um, where they're working. So I just want to acknowledge that it's not something that everyone's mm -hmm. going to be able to even try just given where you live. And they asked, I guess I said, do you have any advice? But I don't really know what advice to give me. You just kind of can't do it. Right. I mean, I'm yeah. a rule caller, <laughs> so I'm like, don't you do can't it. <laughs> get around it. Or like, I cannot really suggest, oh, you have to take this you know, drink something and it's, it's going to disappear. Your yeah. Yeah. Head, right? Okay. The, the antidote. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I think it's more about education and raising awareness, even at the, at the legislature, right. Kind of yeah, levels yeah. is at the government levels. It's just like, a, you know, stop the stigma and the patients are suffering. They're seeing benefits. Why are you limiting the access? Why are you setting up all these mm -hmm. barriers? Yeah. Why are you setting them up for failure when you've seen there's evidence when our patients are reducing prescription right drug prescriptions reducing opioid use so why can you kind of focus on those maybe positive areas that are benefiting patients right it makes perfect sense to me i mean unless yeah it's like there's so few pain management options out there that don't have like a lot of you know downsides um we want to have all the tools in our toolbox. And I wanted to make sure, um, and I mentioned earlier, those major benefits like pain, sleep, anxiety, I forgot to say inflammation, you know, <laughs> reducing inflammation, yeah. which again, all is interrelated to that. Um, but um, I want to make sure to give you a chance to talk about um, your HEAL program, speaking of inflammation <laughs> and how people can kind of learn more from you. Well, I think I'm probably one of a kind, I can say, I don't know. I don't want to be sound kind of talking about it, but no, what I great. really want to see is because I explained earlier is that I come to realize that, first of all, we need to nourish our endocannabinoid system. So we had that system that even beyond cannabis, there are so many other ways that we can nourish it. So it, keep, it helps us to stay in balance, right? Um, so that's what I created that the HEAL pathway program that is really going to tell you how to elevate your anti-inflammatory lifestyle for when you're living with chronic pain. And so I kind of created this step. So the first uh, is an eight-week program. So the first four weeks, there's no cannabis involved. So if you just want to know about like anti-inflammatory anti nutrition and lifestyle, that is for you, right? Not everyone wants to know about cannabis. So the first step, well, I want to heal that relationship, your relationship with food, then heal with an anti-inflammatory nutrition, heal your gut, heal with supplements, if necessary, right? I'm not. And actually here is when we can introduce cannabis as a potential supplement. That's kind of my ah, view around this. Yeah, yeah. Then if you want to dive into more uh, what how cannabis can kind of be incorporated into that 
uh, wellness toolkit, then on week five, we'll talk about the, the role of cannabis for wellness, pain, and sleep, uh, a little bit of cannabis nutrition. So it's that combination of nutrition and, and cannabis, a cooking demo, and then putting it all together. I love it. That's so great. And then where can people learn more about that? I'll put, of course, it in the notes, but um, yeah, I'm going to be talking more about the program. I'm launching it on June 4th, if everything kind of goes well, but I'm really working tirelessly on it. Uh, You can find me at arthritis.pain.dietitian. Remember my original Instagram account was hacked. And uh, also, it was a pain. So my apologies for everyone who's getting weird messages. Um, Sorry, this one is fully protected. (laughs) And also on my website of www.arthritisdietitian.com. And I know Cheryl is going to uh, share with the links. Yeah, no, it's great. You're really you're providing a service that so many people want and and need. And I will. I want to actually say something that we said in the previous episode you were on the panel about nutrition and the difference between a registered dietitian and like a quote and a nutritionist is that a registered dietitian is somebody who's had a lot of rigorous training and you're you have a license and you're governed by like a board versus anyone in the world can just call themselves a nutritionist like it's not like a protected and but we have to kind of mention that I know in the U.S. they have the nutritionists, like registered dietitian and nutritionists, that like in certain oh, states, right. and even yeah. and even here in Canada, there's a couple of provinces where they still protect the title. But you want to look for like the red flags that are all holistic nutritionists, where they only complete like six months or a, a course, a six month course. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually can have like a medical nutritional therapy, right? We can understand medical health conditions. We have work in clinical settings. So it's really what regulated health professions and we're here to protect the public, not to kind of make any false promises. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, that's, that's something like I just try to really uh, promote the, you know, the programs that are based on like valid, you know, evidence-based information. Plus I just think it's a great mix, you know, taking your personal patient experience and then blending it with, you know, with your, uh, professional, obviously that's, that's what I do too. So I guess I'm biased, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, is there anything, I mean, this has been so, so helpful. Like, um, is there anything else you'd want to share with the audience about this topic or anything else? Well, you know what? I think this is at the tip of the iceberg. I, if you can probably just take one, <laughs> one thing that I would say like a cannabis, you use it as a, any other product, even a supplement could be not, it's not completely harmless, right? right so right. Uh, just as cannabis, just assess it as any other supplement or medication that you're taking and make sure that you are uh, involving your um, healthcare provider in these decisions. And you know, tell them that you're using it, tell them that you you want to use it, but don't keep it to yourself just in case there's any adverse side effect or uh, interaction, then the healthcare provider is aware of it and they can help you. Yeah, that's super, super helpful. Yeah. And I think as the years go on, the stigma is, you know, reducing more and more. And I know even, um, you know, the Arthritis Foundation in the United States has put out some great resources on CBD and cannabis and um, the American College of Rheumatology is, is I think going to put out one later this year. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's, um, it, you know, I, I think in like 
a decade ago or two decades ago, people were kind of scared to talk about it, but now it's, uh, it's definitely the icebergs kind of tipping, like you said, or that's the tip of the iceberg. There we go. I get my metaphors right. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I'm always mixing uh, metaphors. Well, this has been so, so helpful. Thank you so much again. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yay. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye for now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.